Good morning, Valley family. Great to see everybody uh, here today. How many of you grateful for air conditioning? Yeah, seems like we got a little more people here than normal. You know, I can tell maybe some folks don't have it, but we have it in here, uh, no doubt about it. So stay for all three services if that's what you'd really like. Hey, we especially want to welcome everybody joining us on our online campus, wherever you are. Let's give a big shout out for everybody joining us there as well. We're just grateful that you made time to, to be a part of us. We're in this series. This is actually week number four uh, in this series that we're calling Walking Away from Jesus. The whole idea here is it's not people like uh, walking away from their faith in Jesus, but we're, we're looking at there's so many stories in the Gospels that record what Jesus said, what he did. So many stories, so many encounters that people had with him, and, and every single person walked away differently. Uh, some walked away healed, some walked away forgiven. As we're going to find out today, pretty crazy, some walked away so angry they determined we have got to kill this man. But everyone walked away different. And so we're looking at these stories, and it's going to take us right through Labor Day weekend, you know, that just impacted, changed people's lives, some for the good and some for the not so good, as we'll see here today. I want to invite you back next week. Uh, we're going to be looking at that story. Maybe you've heard of before that account uh, of when Jesus calms the storm. And uh, if you're going through a storm in your life, I think there's going to be something especially practical uh, and timely for you next week's message. And so I want to invite you back for that. If you know someone who's going through a storm, there's so much more in all these stories. When we, when we really drill down deep, we realize there's a whole lot more go going on than just what's going on. We're going to find that today. I want to go ahead and invite you to, to join me in Mark chapter 2. And we want to read the last few verses in Mark chapter 2. And these notes are on our website. You can follow right along. Add your own notes to them if you want to. And then email them back to yourself. But, but we're going to read the end of Mark chapter 2. And then the beginning of Mark chapter 3. And here's the reason why. Uh, you may not be aware of this. But the chapter and verse marks in the Bible those were added about 200 years after the, the Bible was finished being written. The, the reason for that is those aren't inspired. It, it just makes it easier so I can say Mark chapter 2 verse 23 instead of go to the gospel of Mark and just search around until you find the story that we're talking about. And, and so those, those chapter headings and the verses. So the whole idea is even though this is the end of Mark chapter 2 and the beginning of Mark chapter 3, Mark uh, the gospel writer put these together. They're two different instances, two different stories that happen, but, but he's putting them together because they're the same point that is being made. And so let's read, first of all, Mark chapter 2, verse 23. I have kind of entitled this message, The Rest of the Story. How many of you remember Paul Harvey? Okay, two of us, yeah. I'm Paul Harvey. This is the rest of the story. My grandfather used to love him, and uh, that's why only two of us remember him right now. But uh, anyway, it was actually a dude on the radio, uh, had a radio program every day. Mark chapter 2, verse 23. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some heads of grain. The Pharisees, now the Pharisees are the religious leaders in Judaism at the time. The Pharisees said to him, look. Why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? So they're, they're referring back to what we would say is in the Old Testament law that, that God said, you, the Sabbath is holy, you must keep it holy. Verse 25, he answered, have you ever read what David, that's King David in the Old Testament, have you ever read 
Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abathar the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for priests to eat. And he also gave some to his, to his companions. And then he said to them, Jesus addressing the Pharisees, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. What he's doing here is Jesus is referring to himself. And what he's saying is, is if he's claiming to be God, if he's the Lord of the Sabbath, the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. If he's claiming to be God and he's not, this is total blasphemy. He, he's blaspheming God here. But if he really is who he says he is, God himself, then, then he's making a huge, huge, like, cosmic quake statement right here. And then it goes on, and let's go to Mark chapter 3, verse 1 through 6. Another time, so again, Mark's putting these two stories, he's putting them next to each other to make the point really clear. Another time, this is a separate time, Jesus went into the synagogue and a man with a shriveled hand was there. And some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. That's, again, the religious leaders. And so they watched him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. And Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, stand up in front of everyone. Now, hold on just a minute here. Their whole mindset was this, that, that the Sabbath was supposed to be holy. You weren't supposed to do any work. In fact... The religious leaders in Judaism had taken what God said in the Ten Commandments, keep the Sabbath holy, and they had add, added 39 other laws that God didn't give, but 39 additional laws and, and requirements and restrictions for the Sabbath day. For instance, how many steps you could actually take. How much grain you could actually harvest, like one piece of wheat, that's it. 39 different laws, requirements, restrictions that they put on top of God's law about the Sabbath. And so they're like, I wonder if he's going to heal this man on the Sabbath. Because in their mind, based on their restrictions they put on the Sabbath, that would be breaking the Sabbath. If Jesus did something wonderful and healed this man whose hand was withered up. And so he says to this man, stand up in front of everyone. And then Jesus asked them, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they remained silent. And he looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts. And he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. Watch this, talking about walking away from Jesus. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. They said, that's it, this man has to die. And let me give you kind of like a modern day equivalent of what's happening here. So when it says the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians, the Pharisees were the keepers of the Jewish law. The Herodians were... If it feels good, do it. Just pleasure. Whatever makes you happy, anything goes. No laws, no restrictions. This is like the Democrats and the Republicans agreeing on everything. 
That's what this is. This is like, these are like these two polar opposite, these two extremes, and, and they're literally like, together we're going to kill Jesus. That's what's happening. So what you have here is you've got political power, that's the Herodians really, and you've got religious power, that's the Pharisees. Political power and religious power, we're going to kill this guy. Everybody who met Jesus walked away different. Every single one. So what is this story, these two stories, have to do with you and me, and, and how can we apply these things to our lives? Jesus is saying here through these two instances, he did not come to reform religion. That's not why Jesus came. He came to absolutely end religion and replace it with himself. That, that, that's the whole crux of what's happening here. That's why religious leaders, political leaders, we have to kill him. This man has to die. They understood clearly what he was doing. They understood clearly what he was saying. They understood what he was all about. I didn't come to reform religion. He's, I'm, not, I'm not here to reform Judaism. I'm here to completely abolish religion and replace it with himself. Think about what is the Sabbath really all about? He kind of asked these rhetorical questions. Uh, what is this day of rest all about? It's about restoring the diminished. It, it, it's about replenishing the drained. It's about repairing the broken. And so a man with a shriveled hand, to deal with that shriveled hand is to do exactly what the Sabbath is really all about. He refreshed him, he replenished him, he healed him. But they had gotten so much into their own religion, so much into their rules, requirements, and regulations, that, that even when God in the flesh showed up in Jesus Christ, they missed him because of their religion. And Jesus is like, I'm not here about religion. I'm here to replace religion with myself. See, I think we need to understand there's a huge difference, and, and some people do call Christianity a religion. I would say that's from an outside looking in. There's a huge difference between religion and the gospel. But what is the gospel? R religion fundamentally is about advice. In other words, do these things and God will accept you if you're a good person, if you're charitable, if you, you know, remember the poor. If you do all these good things, then God will accept you. There are thousands and thousands of religions in the world today. Thousands and thousands of nuances on religion. But the bottom line is it's all about advice. Do these things and God will accept you. The gospel is completely different. The gospel literally means good news. The gospel means it's fundamentally about news. In other words, it's not about what you do. Religion says do this, do this, keep these rules, these requirements, all these things. The gospel says there's good news. There's one who came and kept it all. The gospel is not about what you do. The gospel is about what's already been done. Through Jesus' sinless life, his sacrificial death, and his resurrection from the dead. It's an announcement of there's good news, everyone. That there's, there's incredible good news. What you and I could not do for ourselves, God did for you and me through his son, Jesus Christ. Huge difference between religion, keep these rules. You, you know, I remember when I was younger, you know, my daddy would tell me, don't drink, smoke, and chew, and don't go with the girls who do. I mean, that's religion right there. You know, like all these rules and regulations, you, you know. 
But the gospel is not advice. It's not do these things. The gospel is this is what's been done for you. Just receive it. Huge difference. And, and, and I know for so many, could I put it this way, for so many of our uh, former Roman Catholic brothers and sisters, this is so counterintuitive. Because you're taught you've got to do all these things to earn. You've you got to do all these things in order for God to forgive. Penance, all these things. That's not the gospel. That's religion. There's a huge difference between religion and the gospel. Religion is fundamentally advice. The gospel is fundamentally good news. Let, let me share with you a couple more of these, these contrasts. I don't have them on the notes. And uh, I'll look on my phone here. And look, I've got a dentist appointment tomorrow morning. Okay, cross that out. There we go. All right. So religion, are you ready for this? Just a few more, just, just so we understand what we're talking about. Religion says, I obey, therefore I'm accepted. That's religion. That's, that's man-made religion. I obey, therefore I'm accepted. The gospel says, I'm accepted, therefore I obey. Huge difference there. Religion, said, religion is motivated based on fear and insecurity. I'm afraid of what will happen if I do something wrong. I'm afraid. I, I have this guilt and I've got to do stuff to get rid of the guilt. The gospel is motivated based on grateful joy. Look what Jesus did for me. I'm so grateful that my heart wants to do something for him in return. Huge, huge difference. Religion, I obey God in order to get things from God. The gospel, I obey God in order to delight and resemble him more every day. Huge difference. Religion, when circumstances in my life go wrong, I'm angry at God or myself since I believe, like Job's friends in the Old Testament, that anyone who is good deserves a comfortable life. In other words, I, I am the my actions give me a comfortable, comfortable life or not. That's religion. The gospel, when circumstances in my life go wrong, I struggle, but I know all my punishment fell on Jesus, and that while he may allow this for my training, he will exercise his fatherly love even within my trial towards me. Huge difference. And I'm not going to go any deeper, but, but there's, there's all kinds of contrast. Religion, the motivation is guilt and fear of what God's going to do. The gospel, gratitude. This is what God's already done. And he did it all. And Jesus took my place. And so my motivation isn't fear. It's not guilt, condemnation. It's gratitude. It's joy. Religion is fundamentally advice. Do all this stuff. The gospel is fundamentally news. It's an announcement. This is what God has done for you and for me through Jesus Christ. See, most people believe that if there is a God, you relate to him based on your personal performance. That's not the gospel. That, that's not the teachings of scripture. Let, let me just kind of 
help clarify some of this. Uh, basically, religions, not talking about the gospel, not talking about the Christian faith, but basically religions fall into like three different categories. First of all, there's nationalistic religion. What do you mean by that, Greg? Nationalistic uh, approach to religion means this. You connect to God by coming into our specific people group. That, that's what I mean by nationalistic. Don't, not, don't think countries, think people groups. Because you're an American, you're a Christian. That's not anywhere in the Bible. Uh, uh, spiritualistic religion. Spiritualistic religion means you reach God by working yourself through certain transformations of consciousness. That, that's not the teachings of Scripture either. And then there's legalistic religion. And that is you follow a code of conduct. And if you really, really follow that code of conduct really, really, really well, and you don't mess up, but you're really, really, really good, maybe, maybe you'll end up going to heaven. That's all religion. That's not the gospel at all. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the total opposite of religion. That's why they wanted to kill him. That's why they determined that day, we're going we're to murder him. We're going to kill him. Because he's a threat to the political power, and he's a threat to the religious power, to our religion. The gospel says, I'm fully accepted by God, therefore I obey. It's kind of like right now, at this moment, it doesn't matter what you've done, God accepts you. God accepts me, and it's not because of anything I've done. It's all because just simply you've received Jesus Christ as your Savior. You've received that sacrifice. You, you said, Jesus, I recognize you live for me a sinless life. You died for me as a sacrifice and substitute. You rose from the dead. That, that you did all of that for me, and I receive you as my Savior and Lord. You're accepted. It's like you can't get more accepted than you are right now. It's kind of like a right now, I said to all of us, okay, let's go into the auditorium. Let's work really hard to go into the, we're in the auditorium. Like you can't get more into the auditorium than you are right now. You're in the auditorium. You can't get more accepted by God. You're fully and completely accepted and unconditionally loved right now. And there's nothing you can do about it. You can't change it. You, 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 you need to accept that and then live out of that. That's what Jesus is getting to. He's talking about, you know, the, the doing away with one day a week or all the rest. No, that's still, but he's talking about something much, much deeper. Much, much deeper in these two accounts that we see in Mark chapter 2 and Mark chapter 3. He's challenging the political power of the day and the religious power of the day. And he's replacing religion with himself. That's why he says, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. He's like, I made the Sabbath. I am God over the Sabbath. I'm the king over the Sabbath. And if I want to heal someone, you know what? I'm doing what's right. If you think it's wrong, you're in the wrong. He says he's the Lord of the Sabbath. In religion, the purpose of obeying the law is to ensure that you're forgiven. You've got to do all this stuff in order to be forgiven. The gospel says Jesus did it all. You just simply have to say, I receive it and accept it. That's it. And you say, well, that sounds so simple. It's not simple at all. But God did it all. It's not up to me. It's not up to you. God did it all for you and for me. He says he's Lord of the Sabbath. Lord of the Sabbath. Let's look at it again. Mark chapter 2, verse 27, 28. 
Then he said to him, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. The Son of Man is the Lord even of the Sabbath. That word Sabbath is really, really an interesting word in the Hebrew Old Testament and then carried over into the New Testament, which is largely Greek. It's a kind of biblical Greek that's no longer spoken today. But what it literally means is the Sabbath means deep rest, deep peace. It's almost, it's almost a synonym to the Hebrew word in the Old Testament, shalom. The, the Hebrew word shalom means perfect peace, unshakable peace. And, and it means not only peace in terms of emotion, but it means physical peace, emotional peace, relational peace. That's, that's, that's the whole idea of Sabbath, to be at peace, to, to rest in God's shalom. You can't do that if you're striving for God's approval. It's impossible. You, you, you can't have peace inside if you're trying to prove yourself to God that you're worthy of his love. That's what religion says. Prove your worthiness. Prove how good you are by what you do. Jesus says, None of us are good enough. That's why he came to live and die and rise again. He's the Lord of the Sabbath. He's the Lord of that peace that comes, that shalom in every area of our life. Is it any wonder in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, Jesus gave this incredible invitation because he's the Lord of the Sabbath, of peace. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you, there's that word, rest. I'll give you, I'll give you shalom, the Hebrew word. I'll give you peace, rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart. And you'll find, listen, rest for your soul. For your soul. So many of us are so weary and worn out trying to prove we're a good person to God. Trying to prove our value. Trying to prove ourselves to people around us. And Jesus is saying, you need a Sabbath. I'm the Lord of the Sabbath is what Jesus said. You need peace. You need to find rest for your soul. Because you're in the auditorium. You can't get more in the auditorium than you are right now. You just need to sit down and realize you're in the auditorium. He doesn't say you'll find rest for your worn out bodies. Although I think it probably covers that. He says, come to me, you'll find, I'll give you rest. And you'll find rest for what? Your soul. You don't have to strive anymore. You don't have to try to earn God's approval. You don't have to prove, try to earn God's acceptance or earn God's love. You'll find rest for your soul. No more striving. No more proving. Jesus proved it. Jesus lived the life you and I couldn't live. Jesus died the death that you and I deserved. Jesus rose from the grave just like you and I will when we receive him as our Savior. That's the promise. It's the great substitution. 
He says, you'll find rest for your soul. For my yoke is easy. And my burden is light. He's like, just take my, take my yoke, just like a yoke of oxen, just come alongside me and, and realize the pace. Realize the perspective. I'll give you rest. You'll find rest for what? Your souls. So many of us, our souls are just worn out and weary from trying to prove something to God, and he already approves us. Trying to earn God's love, and he's like, I can't love you anymore. I love you unconditionally. Christians don't do because they have to do. We do because our hearts are full of gratitude for what he's already done. Religion is advice. The gospel is good news. Great Christian uh, leader, author, pastor, scholar, N.T. Wright, he put it this way. And this quote's a little long, but man, it's good. So it's going to go on two slides. You ready for this? It's in your notes on our website. N.T. Wright put it this way. How can you live with the terrifying thought that the hurricane has become human? That fire has become flesh. That life itself, talking about Jesus, walked in our midst. Christianity either means that or it means nothing. It is either the most devastating disclosure of the deepest reality of this world or it's a sham. It's nonsense. Most of us unable to cope with saying either one of those things condemn ourselves to live in the shallow world in between. That's not what God intended. That's not why Jesus Christ came. He came, he said in John chapter 10, that you and I, John 10, 10, would have life and have that life abundantly. No more striving, no, no, no more pressure, no more trying to prove my value. I rest. That's what Sabbath, I rest in what Jesus has done. And I live out a heart of gratitude and joy for all he's done for me. See, there's a deeper rest. That's what Sabbath is all about. There's a deeper rest that God came, God desires to give you and me. That's why Jesus came. I, I've mentioned this before just a, a few weeks ago. Fantastic movie. Came out, I think it was 1981, uh, and, and if you haven't seen it, highly recommend it. True story uh, called Chariots of Fire. Chariots of Fire, the, this, the story uh, of the 1924 Olympics, and, and there's two main characters in the story, uh, in this account. One's named Eric Little. Eric Little was a devout Christian, uh, so much so that uh, because one of his, uh, one of the, the heats uh, that, that qualified him to run for the medal, the gold medal, was actually rained out. They rescheduled it on Sunday. He was the favorite to win the gold medal, and he said, I won't run. And they were like, well, you have to run. He's like, I, I won't run. That's God's Sabbath. I refuse to run. And, and so they said, well, we're going to put you in a different event then because we're not changing this. He goes, very well, I'll do that. Also, there's another character in the story, a, a young man who, whose name was Harold Abrams, 
And, and Harold Abrams, his whole, like he was this incredible runner, but you see this striving. Like he has to prove himself over and over again. In fact, at one point in the movie, he makes this quote. He says, I only have 10 seconds to justify my existence as he runs 100 meters. Can you imagine that kind of pressure, that kind of striving? I have 10 seconds of a whole entire lifetime, 10 seconds to prove my existence. That's the pressure. He felt like in, in order for, for his life to have value, he had to prove himself to everyone. Eric Little like, no, my life has value because of Christ. And if it means I don't run in the event, I don't run in the event. I'm okay with that. In fact, Eric Little makes this amazing statement and it just shows the difference between religion, I have to prove my existence in 10 seconds, and the gospel. And this is what Eric Little said. Fantastic movie. You got to see it. Eric Little says, when I run, I feel God's pleasure. Do you hear the difference? When I'm just doing what God created, I feel God's pleasure and approval on me. Abrams, I have 10 seconds to prove my existence. I think every one of us lives somewhere in between those two men, that perspective. I feel God's pleasure as I'm doing this. I know I'm accepted in love, or I've got to prove it to God. I've got to prove it to my spouse. I've got to prove it to my family. I've got to prove it to my boss. I've got to prove it, prove it, prove it. And that's why we are worn out. And Jesus said, come to me I'll give you rest for your soul. I'm Lord of the Sabbath. I'm the one who created it. I'm the one that understands it. There's a deeper, deeper rest. Hebrews chapter 4, later on in the New Testament, look at what it says. So there is a special rest still waiting for the people of God. It's talking about this rest for our soul. No more, no more striving. For all who have entered into God's rest have rested what? From their labors. That doesn't mean we don't work. What does that mean? That Think of that word labor there, striving. We're not striving anymore for God's approval. We don't feel like, like Abrams, I've got 10 seconds to prove my existence. We're no, no longer striving. For all who have entered into God's rest have rested from their labors just as God did after creating the world. That's where the Sabbath comes from, the seventh day of creation, where God rested. So let us do our best to enter that rest. But if we disobey God as the people of Israel did, we'll fall. We'll fall. We, we won't enter into that rest. In the Old Testament, God gave, he rested on the seventh day, not because God was tired, he rested on the seventh day to show us that, that there's a rest that he wants every one of us to experience. Not just physical rest, but rest from our, our labor, rest from our striving, rest from our works trying to prove who we are. We are who he says we are. Invaluable. That's why he sent his son, Jesus. For God so loved the world, he gave his only son. He gave everything. That's how valuable you are to him. That whoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. As Christians, as followers of Christ, we don't do because we have to. We do out of hearts full of gratitude. 
But this rest is not automatic. That's why Jesus gives the invitation. You and I have to receive that. Yes, Lord, I'll, I'll be yoked together with you. In step with you. It's a deeper rest. Last thing that's happening here in these two accounts is, is really the end of religion. The end of religion. Just before this, Mark chapter 2, verse 7. Just, just before Mark talks about these instances about the Sabbath at the end of Mark 2 and the beginning of Mark 3. Jesus made this statement to the religious leaders. Jesus said to them, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. In other words, it's kind of a, a play on words here. He's saying to, to the religious leaders, he's like, you think you're healthy and you've got it all together. You think you're a good person. He's like, I didn't come for good people. I, I didn't come for people that are healthy. That's not why I came. Jesus says, I came for those that know they're sick. I, I came for those that know they need help. I, I came for those that know, really on the inside, I'm not a good person. I'm selfish. I'm ambitious. I, I'm angry. And, and I just want it my way. And I need help. That's why I came. And so in other words, he's kind of saying to those religious leaders, I'm not here for you anyway. That's another reason why they wanted to kill him. Because he wouldn't just lock, stock, and barrel, just march on in their direction with what they had going on, religion. He said, I, I'm not here to reform religion. I, I'm here to replace it with myself, with Jesus, with the gospel. That's why he came. That's why he lived. That's why he died and rose again. For almost all of us, unless uh, God comes into our lives, we're working and we're doing things to try to prove ourselves, to convince God, to convince others, ourselves that we're really good people. The work is never over unless we rest in the gospel of what Jesus has done for us. Because think about it, at the end of creation on that seventh day, in Genesis, basically that seventh day, God said, it's finished. Everything was perfect. Before sin entered into the world, he said, it's finished, it's perfect. That was in creation on the seventh day. Creation, God said, it's finished. And on the cross, Jesus uttered those words. It's finished. It's done. For all that would receive him, paid in full. No more striving. No, no, no more pressure to perform. No more trying to prove our value. But simply living out a life of gratitude. The work underneath your work, your job, is where the real weariness comes in, into our souls thing that really makes you weary, which is really that need to prove yourself to God and to those around you. Jesus satisfied that. Jesus completed that work through his life, his death, and his resurrection. He completed it. 
He lived the life that you should have lived. He died the death that you should have died. And if you rest in his finished work, then you'll know truly maybe once and for all that God is completely satisfied with you. And he approves you. And he loves you. As a result, because Jesus said it is finished, we can rest in his finished work. And we can rest and receive that offer that he makes us. That we can have rest for our souls, not just for a moment, but for our lifetime and for eternity. I'm going to ask, would you bow your heads with me right now? Let's pray. Father, thank you for giving us deep rest that comes through Jesus Christ who died on the cross and said it is finished so that we can know you're satisfied with us so that we can pick up and leave our work and leave our pursuits and all the things that can make us weary and deep down inside know because of Jesus' finished work we can truly rest. Lord, we don't want anymore to live our lives of anxiety and self-condemnation and condemning others as well. We want to have that life, that grace that Jesus offers us. We want to have our whole lives revolve around you. We pray that you would help us through what we've learned today to do it through Jesus. In his name we pray.